Hey, everybody, and welcome to another special edition of the Candid Community Leadership Podcast. Well, it's election season in our community, and on October 20th, Marion Economic Development Corporation teamed up with the Marion Chamber of Commerce to host a candidates forum with individuals who are running for the Linmar Community School District Board of Directors. Hey, before we get to the forum, we would like to invite you to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform that you're listening uh, to us now uh, with. Uh, You'll note that this is only episode eight, but in the months to come, we plan to use this podcast to talk about other important community issues, and we're going to talk about those issues with the people who are at the center of leadership and influence uh, in our community. So we hope you'll stay uh, connected with us. Just go ahead and subscribe before you get get further into this podcast. So here we go. Uh, Here's the audio from the Linmar Community School District uh, Candidates Forum. Good evening and welcome to our final forum of the evening. For the last 75 minutes, we'll meet candidates running to serve on the Linmar Community School District's Board of Directors. My name is Bob Hoy and I have the honor of being the moderator for this evening's forums. As I mentioned earlier in the evening, school boards play a unique role in not only school district governance, but also have a broad impact on the citizens, businesses, and broader community they represent. To effectively execute their responsibilities, school board members must clearly understand their unique role, district governance, and have a strong commitment to advancing student outcomes. This year, voters in Linmar School District will elect three of six candidates to fill at-large seats on the school board. The candidates include Geraldine Jones, Kara Larson, Kara Lawson, Matt Rollinger, Melissa Walker, and Rachel Wall. Tonight, candidates will respond to a variety of questions on topics that were pre-selected and have not been shared with the candidates ahead of time. Additionally, members of the audience may submit questions by writing them on the note cards available in the room. And with those people with note cards, please put your hand up These folks have note cards, so you can, I mean new note cards that can be passed out. So it's the two ladies standing over here. If you do not have a card and would like to submit a question for consideration, please raise your hand and we will get one to you. We will not guarantee that all questions will be able to be asked. We'll also be sorting through them and perhaps combining some of them together with similar questions to allow us to cover a diverse number of topics. We'll not accept questions attempted to be presented verbally from members of the audience or the media in attendance. Those who attempt to do so may be asked to leave. We don't want that to happen. Your cooperation is much appreciated this evening. We'll present questions to candidates on a rotating basis, meaning each candidate will have the opportunity to have both the first and last remarks throughout the evening. In this forum, responses will be limited to 60 seconds. We ask that candidates pay attention to our time cards at the front of the room to help us move through the evening and as many questions as possible. For our first question, we will allow a two-minute response. We will begin alphabetically, starting with Ms. Jones. The first question, please introduce yourselves and tell us what it means to you to be a school board candidate. You have two minutes. Hello, my name is Gerilyn Jones. My husband and I moved out here in 2015. We have a first grader and a soon-to-be preschooler next fall. Looking at the schools in the area, we felt drawn to Lidmar, given all the opportunities it had to offer. Getting involved in public service has always been a part of my life. 
from my childhood through adulthood. I have two years experience in elementary education and a bachelor's in hospitality, tourism, business management. I say all this because I come prepared with a drive of public service, excuse me, and hospitality in, has always been what I desired most. Then getting out into the community, meeting parents, teachers, excuse me, I get nervous. Um, then getting out in the community, meeting parents, teachers, alumni, supporting local and small shops, joining small supportive groups, etc. I feel like Linmar is a community, Linmar and its community is where we are meant to be. My family and I have just began here, and Linmar is where we continue to plan to grow. We have always been, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, we have many years to be here in this school district, and I'm a young mom who wants to get involved. We've always been involved growing up in volunteering activities from being in, pulled in to family activities such as joining my dad when he did the volunteer fire department and just getting involved in activities like that. Um, I'm dedicated to positive change. I'm dedicated to our children here in Linmar because what they obtain through their years with us is something that they will carry on beyond graduation. So, thank you. Kara Larson. Hi, my name is Kara Larson. My family moved out here 31 years ago and I went to Linmar and graduated with my three siblings. Currently, I have two kids still in the district and I have two that have left the school, young adults now. Um, I was involved in our PTO at Lynn Grove for a little bit over seven years. Four years as a PTO president, treasurer, and secretary as well during that time. I want to give back to the community that gave me and my kids so much. Even though I still have two at the school, the staff is still giving back to our family. So I'm running for school board to not only support our staff and students and families, but to continue to grow Linmar into the school that it always has been to me, which is an amazing school district that cares about the families in the school. Kara Lawson. I can't, okay, the microphone is on. You look like you were like doing a switch on yours. So. Okay, sorry. Um, my name is Kara Lawson. Um, I have lived in the school district for almost 11 years now. Um, we moved into the Linmar School District before our children started kindergarten very intentionally. Um, I have a freshman and a sophomore at the high school. Um, and I have served our community the last four years on the school board. Um, I am asking for the community's support to serve another four-year term on the school board. Um, I got my start in the school district volunteering when my daughters were at Bowman Woods. I then um, got involved with the PTO there. Um, we made some changes to how fundraising is done at Bowman Woods through the PTO so it could be more inclusive and we could involve more of our families in our programming. Um, that's something that's very important to me is that we can have as many students participating in as many activities as we can. Um, 
I definitely lost my train of thought, so I'll probably just leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you. Matt Rollinger. Uh, hello, my name is Matt Rollinger. Uh, first, I would like to thank Medco and the Chamber for putting this on tonight and for all of the other candidates uh, for coming out and everyone that took time out of their day uh, to come and listen and learn uh, about the candidates. Again, my name is Matt Rollinger. I am the husband to the most wonderful wife in the world, Anne. I've got two beautiful kids, both of which are uh, in the Linmar District currently. I am a small business owner in this community. Um, I have a background in engineering. Um, I've worked in engineering for 15 years uh, before stepping out and, and starting my own um, small business. Um, with that experience, um, especially in the engineering experience, I have the ability to look at a problem and figure out how to solve it logically so that all of the steps make sense. We need to start making the question, the answers to our questions make sense. As far as uh, fiscal responsibility, being a business owner and uh, working in engineering, I have managed projects from hundreds of dollars to multiple millions of dollar projects. I have the ability and the experience to do those things. I will also bring the silenced people in this community, whether it be parents, students, teachers and staff or taxpayers into the discussion of our board meetings. It is my mission to have every silence voice heard. Thank you. Melissa Walker. Hello, I'm Melissa Walker. Um, thank you so much again for inviting us here today. I am the mom of two amazing boys who are um, high school students at Linmar High School. Uh, my husband was a high school graduate at Linmar and he currently is a teacher in the district. So education is very important to our family and we are longtime Linmar family. Um, very proudly bleed black and red, although I was not a Linmar grad, I have no choice but to um, to have moved back to the Linmar district and have and we very proudly um, be joined back into the Linmar family and are so happy to be here and have um, chosen to stay in the Linmar family ever since because it has just been such a blessing to us to be part of this family. Um, our two boys have grown up in this Linmar family and we have experienced really such wonderful things as part of this as well as some growing pains as being um, fa a family that has experienced learning differences, mental health challenges, special education services, speech services, lots and lots of different things throughout the years. Um, I am also a professional in this community. I have over 20 years of experience in nonprofit management and leadership. Um, so I come with lots of experience also leading organizations, fiscal management, knowing how to do a lot with a little. Um, my experience and expertise is in the realm of behavioral health and mental health, so that's an area of big concern for me um, as I come forward. And to me, being a school board candidate is really about representing all students, all families in this district and finding ways to help their voices be heard and help their concerns come to the table so that we can make um, data-informed decisions and we can help um, every student in this district that has needs to have those needs be met so that each student can have a safe and equitable and effective learning environment. Rachel Wall. Hi, my name is, I'm going to pull this down so you can hear me better. Um, my name is Rachel Wall and um, I am 
running for a seat on the Linmar School Board. Um, I've been on the Linmar School Board for four years. Uh, my husband Nathan and I moved to the district almost 10 years ago, uh, and we came here because of all the wonderful things we heard about Linmar and uh, the wonderful opportunities that it had to offer our children. Um, <clears throat> I've got two daughters in the district, um, one at the elementary level and one at the uh, middle level. Um, I am running for school board again because I am very passionate about education um, and I want to continue the work that we've started. Um, I want to continue to um, be a voice for uh, people. I work with uh, dementia patients as a medication technician and so I have a lot of experience working with people who need an advocate. Um, I come to this position um, having experienced a lot of barriers to education myself. So I have a real appreciation for what the kids uh, are coming into our district, what they may be facing. Um, and I have a real passion for making sure that all students really get an opportunity to have the best education that they possibly can. Um, I hope that I um, can earn your vote. Um, and I look forward, once again, to continuing the work that we've been doing and to embark on uh, the work that uh, we have yet to begin. So thank you very much, and thank you for the invitation to be here tonight. I would ask those of you who have cards completed with questions to please hold them up in the air. Those will be picked up and brought to the head table. Thank you. Before we go on, the candidates, uh, are informed that each of the following questions you'll have 60 seconds to respond. Question number two, and this is for Carol Larson, we'll begin with you. How can Linmar work to improve its approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion? The first thing we need to do is talk to students and parents and find out where we may be lacking. Um, and work on that first. We need to make sure each student has the support they need for their education as well as their emotional well-being. Everyone needs to be informed and make sure staff and parents understand what those things mean to our school district as well. Okay, Kara uh, Lawson. Um, I think our district is working right now to improve its approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, however, we're just really getting that work started, and I'm excited to see where that work is going to go, but I do agree with Kara. The first place we need to start is by listening to um, our students especially. Um, I think we need to honor their experiences in our buildings and um, hear their truths of what they're experiencing. And so I think the best place for us to start is by um, getting a true sense of our student experience in our buildings. Matt Rollinger. Every, every child is diverse. Uh, the first thing we need to focus on is education, reading, writing, and math. That's what education is. Once a student has these three basics mastered, there's nothing they can't teach themselves about anything around them. Public education has failed in the fact that it's allowed itself to get caught up in the causes of the fringes of society. The result is what we see today. True problem solving comes from strong cores of, in the objective thing, 
in the objective things, not the subjective. There's plenty of things all points of view can agree on, and if we focus on those things, we simply won't have time for other agendas to ask these kinds of questions. Equity in education is FAPE, free and appropriate education. Everyone learns reading. Everyone learns writing. Everyone learns math. That is equity in education. Melissa, Melissa Walker. This is a passion area for me. Um, if our children can't feel safe walking into our school buildings, then they will not be able to focus on learning, reading, writing, and arithmetic. If they can't sit in our classrooms and be free of being bullied for the color of their skin or their sexual orientation or for their um, mental health diagnosis or their learning disability, they will not be able to focus on what they're being taught in the classroom. And so in order for us to provide that safe and equitable environment for learning, we need to be able to provide um, an equitable and safe environment for our children. And that includes being able to um, help our teachers know how to relate to and understand the experiences of each of these children in our community um, and help the students around them to understand the experiences, what they might be dealing with so that they can better understand, relate to, appreciate and respect all students in our community. Rachel Wall. Um, like Melissa, this is uh, an area that I'm uh, very passionate about. Um, because of my own experience. Um, I think that uh, education is uh, the great equalizer and we have a duty as um, a community to make sure that we provide equal access uh, to that opportunity for all of our students um, and, and provide an environment that is supportive for them so that they have a chance uh, to um, take hold of that opportunity. Uh, I think there are things that we definitely uh, can improve upon. Um, I think that uh, we've got work to do um, in curriculum um, to make that uh, more inclusive, um, in hiring to make that more diverse. Um, and I agree that the best way that we can move forward with, um, with good changes is to, um, is to talk to people in the community who are actually affected uh, by these things on a daily basis. Thank you. Geraldine Jones. Well, lucky for me, everybody went first. So I agree with everybody else on a lot of these points. Um, I do feel that in order to have good equality and, you know, nobody wants division, okay? Nobody wants to go into the classroom and have division. So across the board, I think everybody wants to be included, right? Um, I actually wrote down this quote and I'm gonna read it. Well, let's try to get through this, right? Um, it says, equity is about ensuring all students have what they need to succeed and making sure they feel valued and respected. And I think respect goes with that as well. We just need to respect each other. Thank you. Kara Lawson, we'll begin with you for the next question. How does the school board balance growth management with fiscal management? One scenario might be the need to add staff while recognizing the financial impact to the taxpayer. Can you read it one more time? Sure. 
How does a school board balance growth management with fiscal management? A scenario might be the need to add staff while recognizing that financial impact to the taxpayer. Thank you. Um, growth management while honoring fiscal management could be like the theme of Linmar and our position in this district over the last, I don't know, let's give it like 10, 20 years. Um, the last two years excluded, this has been something that our boards have been dealing with for many years. Uh, the way school funding works is your money is from the count from the previous school year. And Linmar, on average, tended, tends to grow, with the exception of the last two school years, about 100 students every year, which means that we don't have the funding for those additional students. Um, there is a policy in Linmar board policy that allows for um, early separation of staff. This allows for early retirement. And the funding comes out of a different bucket than traditional salaries, um, which then allows you to add that needed additional staff without negatively impacting the general fund. Matt Rollinger. Uh, gro growth is something that is bound to happen in a school district. Um, I think we need to possibly look at what what have we done in the past and not just repeating things that may have not been the most uh, financially sound uh, ideas just because that's the way we've always done it. I think getting someone who might look at things a little bit differently uh, at those numbers um, can help with uh, the growth versus the, the fiscal uh, implications of that growth. Um, as the district grows, obviously more people move to the district, more money does come in. But I think the biggest thing that we can do is really look at the money that is coming in every year, the money that's projected to come in every year, and find out really where it is going and where can we get the most bang for our dollar. Melissa Walker. I think one of the important steps for us is as a district and as a community to really be lobbying for um, appropriate state funding for public education. I think that if we had that appropriate state funding that we wouldn't be likely to have these gaps and having to make these difficult decisions um, with a one point three-ish billion dollar state surplus last year, there's no reason that we're having to make funding cuts for our teachers and our kids that are impacting their educational outcomes. Um, so I think that's number one. I think that we then also locally then need to take um, a balanced approach to be looking at what we um, need to cut, what we might be able to add to um, to the the budget so that we can be making sure we're cutting in the right ways that aren't going to impact the educational success and outcomes because our kids come first and um, thing, people will always come before things and so when, whenever and wherever possible we need to focus on what will help to ensure the best outcomes for our children. Rachel, Rachel Wall. Um, as Kara said, this is something that we've been dealing with for a couple of decades now, um, and it, it doesn't look like the problem will abate anytime soon. Um, you know, one of the things that we did four years ago uh, was to, um, well, I guess it's been three-ish now, uh, we did a bond campaign um, 
to uh, enable, to, enable us to uh, provide more space for, I mean, we're just burgeoning, busting at the seams. We were able to do that um, and, and um, the community supported us. They invested in that education and then we promised them that we would be fiscally responsible. We would bring that tax rate down. Um, we would make sure that we stuck to our budget and, and made tough choices. We had to make a tough choice this year when we decided not to offer early separation to teachers and you know it was a very difficult decision but um, we did make a promise and um, we are prepared I am certainly prepared to keep that promise. Uh, thank you. Geraldine Jones. I will be honest. I have, I'm just now getting involved in all of this. So that being said, I'm coming to the board wanting to learn, wanting to soak it all up, wanting to learn every single thing about Linmar. I came from a much larger school. Um, I, my graduating class was just under 900. So it was a really large school. But coming from that, we had a big school. We had a lot of stuff to there, I guess. I'm rambling. Um, but just coming from that and having that experience, I can bring that here. I obviously wasn't involved in the funding being in high school. But I want to learn everything I, everything I can. Like I said, I'm a new mom. I want to get involved. I want to know everything about my child's school. I want to know where the funding is going and where we can better spend it. I'm just wanting to get involved in that way. So thank you. Kara Larson. Um, about five or six years ago, I went with a group of parents to Des Moines to talk to our representatives about funding our schools fairly. Um, because you know they ask the schools and the schools say we need four percent and the state comes back and says we'll give you one percent maybe two percent when really in reality three percent would have even been better so i really think we do need to lobby the state for fair funding for our schools and that would help some of the problems that we have because not every bucket can pay for teacher salaries thank you Matt Rollinger, uh, we'll start with you, with you for the next question. As we move forward from COVID, what should the district's role be in supporting the mental health of students and staff? Uh, I think the biggest thing that the district can do uh, in supporting the mental health of the students and staff is, first of all, realize that there were mistakes made that caused mental issues with students and staff. And we need to make sure that gets corrected and never is allowed to happen again. The, the things that we're seeing, even with my own children, is absolutely horrifying to me um, that it, it was allowed to happen. And again, it can't anymore. Going forward, knowing that it can't do, we can't do that anymore, um, the board has a responsibility to have a plan in place for this next whatever it is that comes up. And we need to support our teachers. We need to support our staff. We need to support our students with anything that we can do, whether it be counseling or just knowing, uh, recognizing that there might be something and getting it to the people who can help. Melissa Walker. Thank you. 
yesterday, the American Academy of Pediatrics, in partnership with several other orga national organizations, issued a state of national disaster for um, children's mental health. This is a national crisis. Um, since the beginning of the pandemic, um, children's mental health uh, has doubled. Um, this is not something that we can take lightly. Um, Linmar specifically um, has our services in schools have um, declined since the beginning of the pandemic. We have to go back to providing in-school th therapy services for both our students and our faculty. Our faculty don't have the ability to leave school in the middle of the day to go see their therapist. So we need to make sure that those services are available and accessible on site for every student that needs it. Um, we need to be ensuring that the training is available for our staff on adverse childhood experiences, trauma-informed care. Rachel Wall. Um, I think we're kind of uh, a little bit 911 on fire with mental health right now. Um, we've seen that recently in our own community. Um, one of the things that Linmar has done that I have been very proud of is that we partnered with Covenant and uh, Covenant Health, and they provided therapists that came into the buildings to provide. Uh, counseling to students in their school day. They were pulled out of class during times that were not critical for them, um, and they were able to get those services. Uh, that's something that we were not able to renew this year um, due to budgetary reasons. Um, it's something that we need to bring back. Uh, we need to make our counselors, uh, we need to take some of the things off the plate of our counselors so that they can get back to doing what they're um, trained to do. Um, and we need to make uh, these mental health services accessible to teachers in the same way that we're trying to make them accessible to kids. Um, everybody within education is really struggling right now due to COVID, uh, a lot of stress, and um, this, is, this has got to be a focus area for us. Geraldine Jones. I think mental health is very important, especially now. I think this starts with a community. Um, everybody, parents, and it, it all boils down to how it affects our children. We have less volunteers in our schools this year, and I think that impacts us greatly. You know, these children in our schools, they look for that person to have trust in, and having those less volunteers, you know, they could, just smiling at that person or anything, that could affect them, that could turn their day. So it starts with that. It starts with getting more volunteers in our schools or at least resuming where we once were. Again, the whole community just comes together on this. And then I even think that this is gonna be an issue that comes down post-pandemic, if you will. Um, this is not going to be a quick fix. This is something that we're gonna to have to see where we can grow and just, um, excuse me, I lost my train of thought. But see where we can grow forward. Um, and then, you know, can we bring mental health recovery counselors into our school? That might be something we can do. Kara Larson. Even before COVID, our teachers and students were struggling with mental health. Um, not only do we need to educate our staff and students earlier to recognize signs in themselves or others, but I think we need to advocate to provide someone for them to talk to, whether it be more counselors on site or to bring back in um, therapists to the schools to be able to meet with the kids and teachers during the day. Um, as I said, 
you know, the teachers, once they leave their homes, most therapists, they only work till five or six o'clock and they don't work weekends. It's hard for staff to get the help they need as well. Uh, Kara Lawson. Um, I'm proud of a few things that we have enacted at the high school and I think that they are working. Um, our high school students have um, staff volunteers that they know are people that are just willing and have an open door. Uh, they have the Safe to Speak Up program on all of their laptops. Um, I was particularly happy about ninth grade connection being added this year at the high school. One thing that I have repeatedly advocated for at the board table is that each of our students have an adult in that building that they know cares about them. It, is not always a counselor. While I absolutely advocate for additional counselors in our building, uh, or in all of our buildings, um, staffing-wise, we are in a little bit of an unfortunate situation with regards to counselors between the fifth and eighth grade levels. And I personally would advocate for more counselors in that area, as well as a return to having therapists in our building. That takes a huge burden off of parents. Okay, for the next question, uh, Melissa Walker, will begin with you. How must a board member differentiate policy setting from district management? Great question. Um, so policy really is the overarching um, guidelines for how the district operates. Um, how those, are, those policies are implemented become staffing issues. So. Um, things like whether or not the homecoming court happens is a district building level decision. That is not a policy. Um, we have a board policy handbook that governs the district as a whole. And then, so the, the board really needs to look at what is a policy, and those are the things that the board passes. And then what are the things that individual buildings make decisions on and those are the issues that we need to help the community to um, be connecting to the the appropriate people at each individual district or each individual building to be make um, discussing those decisions around rachel wall uh, the first and foremost uh, responsibility of a board is to hire a superintendent. The board is responsible for setting policy um, and making sure that that policy um, is enacted across the district, but the role of managing the district is the, uh, the superintendent. Um, so there is a chain of command um, and we are the last, we are the last stop on the on the train uh, ride. Um, it's really important that a board recognizes that um, that line between what is our responsibility and what is the responsibility of the superintendent and other administrators in the district. Um, the board cannot get involved in everything. Um, these are volunteer positions, and um, you know we we employ the best of the best to do the work, um, to follow the policy as we set forth. Geraldine Jones. 
Like Rachel said, um, the board has one employee, if you will, and that's the superintendent. And from the superintendent, then it goes down throughout the administration. And the communication and you know the policy implementation and all of that goes through the superintendent. So as the board, we do establish policy, but we have to make sure that it is communicated and communicated well throughout the district. Um, just like it works down that chain of command she mentioned, it also needs to work that way up, I guess, if you will. Um, so we need to make sure that you know the communication that is being done, or you know, the superintendent that's implementing this on that um, administrative level, I guess, if you will, needs to be communicated to the board as well, so that we make sure that we're all on the same page. Does that make sense? So, thank you. Kara Larson. Kind of as uh, Melissa and Rachel both said, the board passes policy and is the responsibility to up, um, uphold the policy. Um, and maybe communication needs to be out more about what the board can and can't do, what they can help with, and instruct them the right path to go to if there is a problem at the schools that that's the way to go and not to come to the board necessarily. Um, thank you. Carol Lawson. Um, policy or governance, if you will, versus district management is something that I personally am particularly passionate about. Um, I believe in understanding the proper roles of the school board, which, like a few people have said, we are vo elected volunteers. I am not an educator. I do not attempt to put myself off as an educator. So um, what that means to me is that it's important to not only that the school board listen to their elected community, but they also take the um, take under advisement what they're hearing from the administration or the teachers in the district or any of the employees. But with regards to governance and management, I have always advocated in along the lines of board education um, through Iowa Association of School Board, so we can continue to make sure that our board is governing effectively and appropriately. Matt Rollinger. I agree that uh, <clears throat> the job of, this, uh, of the school board is to hire a superintendent. That superintendent then manages the district through principals and buildings and so forth. One other thing that the board does do, however, that no one mentioned, is to make sure that our schools are being managed properly and well. That is also something that the board needs to make sure is happening. When people are coming into board meetings and asking questions uh, over and over again, to me that tells me that there is a management problem somewhere that the answers are not getting answered at the management level. So they go to what Rachel mentioned is the very last stop on the train, and that's a school board. So we need the school board needs to hold accountable the management of the school district. Rachel Wall will begin with you with the next question. Explain your experience in advocacy at the state and federal level and describe the role a board member should play in this advocacy. I think the district <clears throat> um, 
has a responsibility to advocate at the state level and the uh, federal level um, for uh, the mission of education and its um, proper funding. Um, that is something that the district does. Um, our superintendent is regularly in contact um, with our legislators and uh, spends time uh, going up to uh, Des Moines and talking uh, to them. Um, it's been a very difficult uh, environment for this. Um, we are sort of, you know, begging for whatever we can get. Um, and we can continue to advocate, and we should, but we also have to have advocacy from the community. Um, nothing will happen until people get involved and start really uh, making this a personal priority for them. Thank you. Geraldine Jones. Well this, is, well, this is something that I am actually very excited to learn about. The reason that brought me to the board, what got me interested in the board, is the pandemic. I wanted to see how decisions were made and how everything that was ran and you know the decision-making process and everything. But attending those board meetings, I enjoyed seeing how everything was done. There was a little bit that I wasn't able to understand, but learning about that is something that I'm willing to do and how that works on a state and federal level, I would love to explore that. And I think it starts with the community, finding out their needs, and then taking it to the state or federal and seeing how we can communicate that and find what is best for our district. Kara Larson, please. As I stated previously, I have been to Des Moines to advocate for our kids and um, proper funding. I would like to continue to do this as a board member and also get um, involved at the federal level, which I have not yet been, um, and advocate for special needs funding um, where we are lacking from state and federal funds. Um, I've written, I've called, but I think them seeing you in person is one of the most important things to do, so I would like to continue to do that. Uh, Kara? Um, I, too, have been to Des Moines to advocate for appropriate school funding um, multiple times. It's uh, quite fun to go put your legislator on the spot. I recommend you all do it at least once. Um, I also am a I also do legislative advocacy at work, um, so I do have experience doing that, not only for something that I'm particularly passionate about, but I also um, work with legislators directly in my industry at work. Um, last year, I had the opportunity to work directly with the governor's office and getting some clarification on a proclamation that she made during the pandemic with regards to my business um, and was quite successful in that endeavor and um, created that connection in the governor's office as well. Matt Rollinger. They say you should never underestimate a motivated parent. I have a son with special needs and I know full well the three plus million dollar gap in funding uh, that we were told about uh, not too long ago in a meeting and that next year will be even worse. This district is definitely lacking with someone on the board who has a fire in their heart 
for special needs. If this district needs somebody to advocate for money for special needs, I am the guy to do it. I have been doing it for my son ever since his diagnosis over 13 years ago, and I won't stop. I will not stop fighting for my son. So again, I'm the guy to help close that three-plus million dollar gap in special needs funding. Melissa Walker. I have about 20 years of experience in um, state and federal advocacy and lobbying. Um, I have worked with the state on uh, my previous experience prior to coming to Tanager Place where I work now was with the Area Substance Abuse Council and I was a certified advanced prevention specialist where I did training um, to community members on the difference between advocacy and lobbying. And in that work as a, the director of prevention at the time, um, I worked with both the Office of Drug Control Policy and the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration on um, advocating for mental health funding and um, substance use funding, um, specifically when the opioid epidemic was first coming to Iowa. And so that was one of my uh, primary areas um, for that. And then um, also worked with the state of Iowa on increasing funding for um, opioid use disorders, alcohol use disorders, um, and other substance use and mental health related concerns. Um, so have lots and lots of experience in this area and would um, be honored to continue that work um, specifically for Lindmar. Uh, Geraldine Jones will begin with you with the next question. In recent years, the school district opened two new 5-6 buildings as part of its long-term facilities plan. Is the new grade structure throughout the district working? How must the model continue to improve? I would say yes. I like I said, I'm brand new to this district, um, and you know, these this is the first year that those schools are opened. And having that, it allowed extra classrooms in our elementary schools, so they can expand. Um, you know, moving into the bigger bigger buildings, um, so they were able to move into different areas. Just from talking to different teachers, it opened up that. So. Um, I think that is really important that these these buildings are doing really well with that. Um, I'm sorry, what was the second part of the question? Is the new grade structure throughout the district working and how must the model continue to improve? So improve, I think this is um, something that is new to me. So. One of my first things that I want to do is walk all the buildings. I've only been in two classrooms. So my first course of action would be to walk the schools, talk to the teachers, talk to the students, and just see you know, how things are going and, and see how I can serve them as a board member. So to see if we can go forward or see how they're working is something that I have to learn. Kara Larson. So as they say back in the day when I was at Linmar, we had a 5-6 building. Um, and so I was glad when they discussed it again. Um, I was involved in the Vote Yes Bond campaign. Um, so I was involved in a lot of the discussion of how to actually split up the buildings. And it totally made sense to go back to what Linmar did previously. Going forward, I think the biggest thing to look at grade structure is, of course, the high school. Um, do we keep it as is? Do we take ninth grade out? Do we take 12th grade out? So I think that's something going forward to really look into that and decide what we need in 10 years. Kara Lawson, please. Um, the feedback that I have heard with regard to the five, six buildings has been wonderful. 
Um, it is my understanding that there is a difference between, let's say, a third and a fourth grader and a fifth and a sixth grader, and that that was a great time and age to pull those kids out and put them in their own building. Um, I have talked to teachers that work in these buildings and they're really enjoying the freedoms that they'll be able to, that they're able to give the students, I think is the best way to put it. And you would not be surprised to hear that that is also the students' favorite part, is their ability to have more autonomy in these buildings because they're big kids now. Um, with regard to continuing to improve, I would just echo Kara's sentiment. I think with regard to grade structure, the next building that we will need to look at is the high school and what, if any, changes can be made to make the high school function a little bit better. Matt Rollinger. Uh, I was fortunate enough to actually have a fifth and sixth grader last year when the, when the new intermediate buildings opened. And I'll give credit where it's due to the board, to the administration, to the community. My hat is off to you. The buildings are beautiful. They are, there is no doubt there was a ton of thought that went into them. And they are, in my opinion, perfect for what they do. So congratulations to everyone that was part of that. Um, to continue to improve, um, I, would, I would also echo that obviously at some point um, the high school is going to need something, whether it be another building or other ways to look at how are we going to get all of these students into a building. Um, I would say get the same crew back that did the intermediate schools and let's talk about it. Melissa Walker. I would echo what everybody else seems to agree with, that we have an amazing um, intermediate, uh, two intermediate buildings. Um, I think that as we move forward to consider what we need for the high school, we need to be very intentional about listening to the community, to the parents, the teachers, the instructors, um, our administrators, and really be thinking forward into um, how we can be building career paths as part of that um, planning process, how we can really be thinking about um, the big picture for the, the long-term future and how we can best utilize that space so that we are being forward-thinking and not just creating space, but also how we can be um, looking at the, the big picture needs for the whole person um, for whoever ends up being in that space. Rachel Wall. I'm really proud of these five, six buildings. Uh, the board and the district worked very hard uh, to pass a bond in, in order to make that happen. Uh, our space, uh, we were just busting at the seams and we needed to do something. Um, and the fifth, sixth uh, grade option was really the most fiscally responsible option that we had. Um, I think it works from a developmental standpoint because if you think about kindergartners versus fifth graders, they are hugely different developmentally. Um, and I think that providing more autonomy in a uh, more graded way um, really helps to prepare them better for high school, um, you know, where the responsibility is, you know, exponentially greater. Um, Space issues continue to be a problem in the district. Uh, we are working right now on uh, some things and um, our facilities advisory board is at, uh, is at work uh, trying to figure out how we, can, um, how we can respond to our growing population. 
Okay, the next question, Kara uh, Larson will begin with you for the next question. Community Promise is a local strategy powered by Marion Economic Development that connects youth with career pathways in our region. This past school year, this past year, Medco invested dollars with the school district to launch venture academics. When it comes to supporting the next generation of workforce, how should these programs best deliver competitive advantage for our community? I think we need to take a look at the students who are not going to college and invest in them as well um, for them to have opportunities to learn trades going into the workforce right after school because not everyone is going to college. Between my four kids, I can tell you right now, two of them will not and two of them say they will. Um, so I think we need to look at what Medco and Lindmark can do to support those kids who are not on the path to go to college but to learn a trade or to get into the workforce right away. Kara Lawson. Um, the partnership between the district and Medco with regard to community promise and the investment in the venture program is wonderful for our students. It's also incredible for our community. Um, if I recall correctly, and hopefully I am so, Nick will be happy with me, um, a, one of the big reasons was how do we keep our students in Marion? How do we keep them in st our students in Marion working? How do we keep them in Marion creating their own businesses? And we can utilize our programs like Community Promise and Venture Academics to allow them to explore a variety of career paths and opportunities and make the best decisions for them in their future, um, regardless of what that looks like. Matt Rollinger. I too believe that um, the workforce is starting to look different and I think uh, as we move forward, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, I think that trade jobs and uh, those types of things are going to be increasingly more important um, as that is where the need is going to be. I think that is where the money is going to be for students graduating. and. Um, it's starting to look more and more like college may not be uh, the best route for some students. Um, so these types of programs are instrumental in, in getting students started into different fields uh, that they may not have considered before. Uh, it gives them real world experience and may help them find something that they truly find a passion for and can uh, create a career out of. Um, it's fantastic that we have partners, partners in this community that are willing to bring uh, youth to them uh, to get them started on their career path. Melissa Walker. I think one of the most important things we can do is really look at how we can um, build more strategic partnerships with all businesses in the Marion community across all different um, career paths. Um, we have really done a great job, I think, as a Linmar district in building some specific business partnerships, but I think there are a lot more businesses and a lot more career paths that we could pursue. Um, we've talked about the trades. I think that there, we know that there is a work workforce shortage in education, in human services, in healthcare, and so I think as we look at across the board all of these different 
um, different workforce possibilities for our students. How can we partner with those businesses that are right here in Marion that are going to be needing workers and how can we help them to introduce these bright young minds that we have right here in our district to those um, to their business, build some partnerships so that they have an opportunity to connect with their business and possibly have um, very direct internship opportunities and potential careers as they graduate. Rachel Wall. Uh, I sat on the Community Promise Committee and I am really impressed uh, with that uh, program. Uh, if you don't know what it is, uh, it is essentially uh, what I like to call sort of an information warehouse that connects students to uh, students with interests uh, to employers who are looking for employees. Um, and it's really important that, you know, we are doing this excellent job of educating our community and pro providing these incredible opportunities and we want to keep our kids here. We want to keep those students coming back and investing in the community. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I saw the time and I was like, eh. um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I'm really impressed with Community Promise, and I think that is a model that we can use to expand, um, as Melissa said, uh, to create uh, partnerships and collaborate with businesses, um, you know, to keep, to keep our students here in our community. Thanks. Uh, Geraldine Jones. Community Promise is such an important program, I think, because it does support the trade, but it also supports the community and I think that is really really a really important factor um, you know like I mentioned earlier the children that are in our schools are going to spend their times and the things that they learn throughout their time here at Linmar is stuff that they're going to take throughout their entire lives and then we want them to come back so their time whether it's you know building homes or different things or you know whatever in the community um, then there's those that go away to college but everybody comes back together Hopefully, we, we want that. Um, but it just builds community. So that's, to me, that's, that's supportive. And it's, community is important, so. Kara Lawson, we'll begin with you for the next question. Partnerships are very important in the Marion community. What partnerships do you see as most critical to the district and how might you contribute? One of us really should have changed our names before the election. <laughs> um, partnerships are incredibly critical for the success of any school district. Um, I have enjoyed the work that we've been able to do with the city of Marion. I have enjoyed the work that we've been able to do with the different organizations like Medco in the city of Marion. And I think we should continue to foster those relationships and strengthen those ties. Um, when our community comes together, whether it is as individuals or as organizations, we're all going to be stronger for it. Matt Rollinger. Uh, partnerships are obviously extremely important to to the, to a to a community. Um, I had a very small part when uh, a company I work for helped Linmar with their robotics uh, team. Uh, it's a lot of fun for both 
the students. It's a lot of fun for the, the companies involved doing those things. Um, but partnering up with the community does so much for the community. It brings the community closer together. It brings the school uh, in, into the business community. It, it teaches those students that are working with those uh, businesses, you know, uh, how the world really works outside of a school. So it's, it's extremely important um, to keep those uh, partnerships going, going strong, and we as a community should be supporting all of those. Melissa Walker. I work for Tanager Place, so I have to say nonprofits as number one um, because I really think that that's the purpose of the nonprofits in our community is to be there to serve and support our children and families. Um, and I think that we have an incredible community full of nonprofits that are there to be able to lift our, our um, children and families in our district up. And so I think that increased partnership with those um, incredible organizations has the ability to really support the, the gaps that we aren't able to fund because we have really limited resources. Um, I think that we have a lot of business opportunities as well as the, the increased and continued support from our city. Um, lots and lots of community coalitions and task forces full of amazingly passionate citizens that are doing some great work in the community. Um, I think other school districts that are doing things that we can pull together with and leverage resources. And then state and national um, associations that have, like um, the Iowa State Education Association um, and counseling associations that can help to share resources and support us. Rachel Wall. Um, I think, excuse me, I think the question that uh, we as a district, we as a board have to ask ourselves is when we're looking outward to businesses, to nonprofits, to entities within a community, where do our interests overlap? You know, where can we uh, leverage um, uh, our our desire to um, to propel the mission of education, and how can how can we provide um, good uh, employees uh, for businesses and how can businesses um, come in and provide um, help for education um, in order to um, continue that mission. <clears throat> Excuse me. I do think partnerships are very important. I also think that we always have to be, um, uh, use caution uh, because we have a mission and we need to make sure that whenever we're partnering with anybody that the education the excuse me the education of students is first and foremost Geraldine Jones I'm actually really excited to explore this opportunity um, a because you know again community is a big thing for me um, because that what that is what makes us a district everybody plays a factor in that um, and then, you know, like I said, exploring that opportunity, but seeing what we as a board or, you know, as a school can do that is best for our district, so. Kara Larson. I think our partnerships with the city, Medco, and other schools like Kirkwood just gives our students more opportunities and things like fly lunches fill in where the school necessarily can't assist. Um, and really it only leads to success for everyone. Okay, the, the next question, Matt Rollinger will begin this question with you. 
The past two years have brought divisions to school boards as we've all worked to navigate the pandemic together. What perspective would you bring to the board to be a consensus builder and drive unity? I, excuse, excuse me, bringing consensus to the board is at the very top of my list. Um, what we need to do is to actually listen to all sides of each issue. What we're seeing this year is that that hasn't been happening. Um, we've been told that that's how consensus is built, um, but I am sitting here tonight for the simple fact that that has not been done. It seems that certain issues, certain views are not allowed or just completely ignored. Some of the divisiveness, if you will, that we're seeing now is, that because, is because some of those people that have felt ignored are now standing up and saying, I want to be heard. I am going to bring that to this board so we can have honest discussion and create consensus with the school board and this community. Melissa Walker. I think I would go about this as a board member the same way that I have during this campaign and I think it comes down to um, sitting down with people one-on-one -on -one or over um, Zoom or emails and just having an engaging in conversation because through those conversations you have the opportunity to hear other perspectives and listen and learn and ask questions and seek to understand there isn't a way to build consensus if you don't understand the other um, the other people's um, point of view and through understanding you can seek to find common ground and when we can find common ground we can start to get to some point of consensus but when we just have I believe this and I believe that and never seek to understand where we're truly coming from and why we believe the way that we do um, we will never be able to get to any sort of even anything even beginning to resemble consensus so seeking common ground I think is first and foremost in order to find some kind of unity. Rachel Wall. Um, I think building consensus uh, is about building relationships with people. Um, I have spent the last four years building relationships with a lot of people in the district uh, who do a lot of different things, parents, teachers, um, paraeducators, uh, to understand what are the what are the things that we're doing well from their perspective and what are the things that maybe we're not doing so well? What are the blind spots that we've got that we just can't see? Um, you know, I think uh, an important element of consensus building is showing respect to one another um, and uh, really listening uh, for understanding um, and uh, understanding that we can see things differently uh, we can disagree, and we can disagree um, vigorously, but we can still come to the table at the end of the day and respect one another, and we can make decisions that ultimately are what's best for students. Um, and I am committed to continuing to do that if I'm reelected. Thanks. Geraldine Jones. One thing that I would like to point out is just that as a board member, you should be slow to speak and quick to listen. 
um, you can't help with matters or serve the district really without hearing about those concerns, right? We hear all the time that you know parents don't come to the board unless there's an issue. That is important that parents are bringing these board or these issues to the board. But I also think that you know there is a respect factor that needs to play in here. Um, I think that there needs to be a lot more deliberation when it comes to these decisions. Parents want to know where these decisions are coming from and you know is it backed by data or you know any facts or anything like that instead of opinion and I think that that is very important. I think that we have a ton of different corners in the district and we need to find that common ground. We need our school represents so many different personalities, everything, and we have to find that common ground for all of our students. Kara Larson. I think it all comes down to communication, um, visiting with people, family, staff, um, and like Rachel said, building relationships. When I started on the PTO, we had to rebuild a lot of relationships with staff and families so they would trust us and also come to us with concerns. Um, I think looking at all information from all sides and sharing that information, um, being transparent and honest in all communication as well. Kara Lawson. Um, like others have said, I think it's important to listen, to understand, not just to hear. Um, the caveat that I would add that I do personally is I always try to assume that people are doing the best with the tools that they have. Um, that may be tools that they developed on their own um, and not everybody has the same communication abilities not everybody is in the same place in their life and you as a board member need to have the ability to I guess get to the root of the issue um, to be honest it, the public comment period of the board meetings is not the best way to understand where people are coming from um, sending an email, um, picking up the phone where you're genuinely looking for answers and being somebody that is receptive to communication. Um, consensus and unity is not going to come just from this board. We have to commit to it as a community as a whole. Melissa Walker, we'll start with you th with the next question. As a school board member, how would you handle public complaints? As a school board member, um, I think I would, first of all, listen to see what the complaint is about. And if I, as a school board member, am the most appropriate person to handle that complaint. Um, I think typically most complaints have um, at least some token of merit as to why those are, are coming to me, um, but I may not be the most appropriate person to be responding to that. So I would help that person to find the most appropriate um, avenue to address their concerns. And if they, and l let them know what the appropriate chain of command is to be able to address that and let them know that if that chain of command they do not find to be successful that I'm certainly there um, as an advocate to help them along that way and along that path and um, that the, the final route is the school board and that I would be happy to um, provide any guidance along that way so that um, if 
their concerns are not resolved that I would be happy to support them. Rachel Wall. I think it's really important to engage with the community and know where they uh, are on things. Um, and when people uh, come to the board with complaints, um, the first thing we have to see is, is this an issue that I as a board member can or should deal with? Um, or is there somebody else that, uh, who can better handle that? And there is a chain of command within the district. Um, so again, we are sort of the last stop on the train there. Um, I think, again, we have to listen to understand and we have to do our best in order to bridge the gap uh, between us um, and to be respectful of people's feelings, um, whether we agree with them or not or whether, um, whether we feel that their complaint has merit. Um, you know, people are coming to us and they're, um, you know, pouring their heart out and that is important. I think the other thing to remember too though is that, um, well, never mind. Well. Geraldine Jones. If a complaint came to the board, I would, I would listen, I would acknowledge, and I would either respond or direct them to that person who could better help them. I think as a board member, you need to listen to the community because you need to listen to the community. You need to listen to your parents, not your parents, but you know, <laughs> the parents of the district. And then listen to the teachers. I think the teachers need to have a voice in all of this because they deal with the children. I don't want to say deal with, but you know, they are with our children all day long. And then parents as well are with their children, our children. Um, for the majority of the day. So if they have a concern, we have to see if that is a genuine concern. We have to see if it is a concern by more people as well. Um, I feel like acknowledging those concerns is important because it makes that person feel like they are heard and that you're going to find an answer and that you are working for them and with them. Thank you. Carol Larson. Currently, I have a lot of people that do come to me because of our career in our school with my kids. We've dealt with mental health, IEPs, learning disabilities, bullying, and many other things. Um, and that's one of the reasons I did want to run for school board is because I want to be there to direct people, to let them know who to go to if the school board is not the appropriate place to go. So I think one of the biggest things is to listen to parents, find out what the problem is, and try to come to a solution and direct them in the right area to go and talk to the appropriate people and follow that chain of command. And if they don't get anywhere, then I'll be there to help and support them. Kara Lawson. Um, I, would, I would largely echo what many of the other people up here have said today. I'm a big part of being a school board member is connecting your constituency with the appropriate resources within the district. Um, this goes back to the earlier question of policy versus district management. Um, we're not sitting at the board table as a person who can solve an issue for you directly with a teacher, but I am happy to help you locate the right people that you need to speak to. I am happy to advocate on your behalf if you are hitting a wall, um, but 
that's really where the issue of policy or governance versus management comes into play very often for school board members. Matt Rollinger. I am probably the most qualified person sitting up here to answer this question. Although I wouldn't call it necessarily bringing a complaint to the board. Uh, a lot of the times I would call it asking questions of our elected officials publicly the questions that were not answered privately. A lot of times when you see people coming into a board meeting and asking questions and seemingly being angry or passionate, it's because we went through that chain of command and we got no answers. We got nothing. So even if the answer is, that is not my place, but I can get you to who that needs to be, we need that answer and we're not getting it. Thank you. Rachel Wall, the first, the next question we'd like you to answer first. When there is a topic for you to address that you're unfamiliar with, how do you educate yourself to be prepared for decision making? I just want to add one thing on the last question that I didn't get to say, which is that I think it's really important to understand that um, we may not always have our complaints or issues addressed in a way that we like. Um, we may, may not the district may not always be able to give you the information about how something was addressed, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't addressed, and it also doesn't mean that the district is doing a bad job. Um, so I just want to add that. Um, on to the question um, that you just asked. If I don't know about a topic, I'm, I am an investigator. Um, I will reach out to people that I know who are familiar with that uh, and talk to them. Uh, I will read about that topic. Um, I also um, know when um, something is not in my wheelhouse and I can look to the people uh, who do uh, have expertise in that uh, to guide me, uh, to guide me in, um, in learning about that. Uh, Geraldyn Jones. This is really important for me because I am so new to the district. That being said, I'm not going to know the answer to every single question, but my eagerness to learn and wanting to find the answer is really important factor to keep in mind here. So I may not know the answer to everything, but finding what my strengths and weaknesses are on the board is also very important. I think having a super diverse board is very important because you are representing every single corner of that community. You know, my strengths might be something different than the next, but together we can work together and find that common ground. And that's what I'm here for. Kara Larson. I would reach out to those experts, um, whether it be a staff member, a principal, another board member, um, and also research myself. And there's always two sides to everything, and I think it's important to re research both sides of it no matter what your personal opinion is. Um, so that's what I would do is reach out to those experts, no matter who they are, you know, phone call, website, book, whatever it needs to be to come to an answer. Kara Lawson. Um, I am no stranger to reaching out to the people in the school district to become educated on any particular issue. Um, I have 
a lot of the cabinet members' phone numbers memorized so I can call whether it's our district CFO, our human resources person, um, or our IT person. I will ask whomever in the cabinet that I need to know, get more information on. Um, I also have connections at all different levels of, I can have a teacher in elementary school that I can ask a question to. I have administrators that I can ask questions to. The middle schools, the high schools. Um, spent many years building these relationships to have these resources because let's face it, most topics are going to be unfamiliar to begin with and it's important to educate yourself on them as a board member. Matt Rollinger. I think everyone will agree that no one knows everything. Um, being on the board there will be a lot of questions that are going to be asked of me that I, I won't know but I'll be honest with you and tell you I don't know but I'll also be honest with you and tell you I will find out that answer and I will go to wherever I need to go whether it's administration other board members members of the community uh, whatever it is you go to who knows and you find out those answers to those questions and you get back to the person asking you that question. Um, again, I will, I will be the first to admit that I won't know everything, but I will be the one that will work the hardest to find the answer for you. Melissa Walker. I think one of the things that's really important to me is making data-informed decisions and that the sources that we go to are evidence-based. And so I would make sure that um, whatever sources of information that I'm um, utilizing have the expertise that um, is necessary in order to provide that level of guidance. So if it's a decision that's related to administration of the school, then I'm gonna to go to the school administrators. If it's something that's impacting the parents of the, of the school, then I'm going to be asking for input from the parents. If it's something that involves a medical decision, I'm going to be seeking the um, input from the CDC and the American Academy of Pediatrics and Public Health. I think we really need to make sure that we are seeking input from a broad audience and those that have the right um, evidence and guidance to be helping to inform our decisions so that we can be making data-informed decisions that can uh, most effectively guide us. Thank you. We have a number of questions from the audience, and in order to get through these, it's already past 845. I've seen a couple people with their eyes closed, by the way. <laughs> um, so we're going to have some questions for you, but I would like you to restrict your answers to 30 seconds. And we'll begin with Kara Larson. Do you support allowing parents and volunteers into elementary school buildings, and with what restrictions, if any? I always want the parents in the schools as a volunteer for, oh, seven, eight years, I racked up 2,400 hours of volunteer time at our schools. Um, currently, I understand why we don't allow parents, especially in the elementary schools. Hopefully this is something that's gonna be revisited soon after the masks go away. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to that discussion because I think parents do need to be in there and volunteers as well. I just want to be able to do it safely for the staff and students. Carol Lawson. 
Um, I agree with Kara. Volunteerism is important. Our Linmore volunteers are incredible. The thousands and thousands and thousands of hours that they put forth in our buildings is absolutely indispensable and invaluable. Um, I can absolutely understand how frustrating it would be to not being able to be in the lower grade levels buildings this year. And um, I believe it to be temporary. Um, and I'm excited to get them back when it's safe. Matt Rollinger. If I could put volunteers back in the elementary schools, I'd do it tonight. They need to be there. They need to be there for the parents themselves and the students need their parents there. That is an important part of education, is having your parents involved in your education. There, there's nothing that makes a child happier than to see their mom or dad in that school helping out uh, other students and them. They're proud of it. We need to get it back, and we need to get it back fast. Melissa Walker. I definitely hope that we can get our parents back in as soon as possible, as soon as it's safe to do so. Um, I do agree that there is a, a need for us to be able to um, have a hold on that because right now it's not as safe as it, it, it should be for our kids. Um, but as soon as we can safely get our parents back in there, I would love to see them, especially with the workforce shortage that we have right now. It's a critical time for us to be utilizing our volunteers um, to be filling in some of those gaps. And our parents provide such a, a valuable opportunity to um, enhance the educational environment for our kids. Rachel Wall. Um, I'll echo what Kara said that our volunteers are absolutely amazing and they are an invaluable part of this district and absolutely a part of the district uh, or part of the reason that this district is so amazing. Um, I do think that um, we can and should uh, get volunteers back into our buildings, but I think we have to do that in a safe manner and we have to um, follow um, CDC guidelines on how to do that. Uh, they need to be back, but we have to do that in a safe way. We have to protect our students. Geraldine Jones. Absolutely. I would love nothing more than to see volunteers in the school right now. Um, we went from roughly 5,000 volunteers down to 200. Um, and parents want to be involved in their school or in their children's school. You know, I've only experienced quote unquote, you know, COVID Linmar. You know, my child is a first grader this year, so we've only experienced this. And I want to volunteer, and it, it hurts that I can't volunteer. So, yeah, absolutely. I would want volunteers to be in the school. In the interest of time, this will be the last question from the audience. And we'll begin with Melissa Walker. Teacher stress levels are at an all-time high due to curriculum additions and new learning for best practices. How do we go about relieving the stress level while ensuring high levels of learning for all? Melissa Walker. I would say, being married to a teacher, that I would agree that teacher stress levels are at an all-time high, but I'm not sure that it's because of learning new um, curriculum. I think that it's because there is an incredible amount of um, challenging issues that these kids are dealing with and they are hearing and seeing incredibly difficult challenging issues each and every day and um, this education that they're receiving is equipping them to be able to deal with those things each and every day. Uh, Rachel Wall. 
I think teachers' stress levels have been high for a very long time. Um, I don't think that, um, as a whole, we've done a great job at um, really putting education um, in the place that it ought to be. Um, I think that, uh, that dang time card, um, I, I, I think that, um, you know, I'd go back to what I said about mental health services and, and trying to get those um, into the buildings in order to relieve, you know, give them opportunities to seek help that they need. Geraldine Jones. I've had a number of teachers reach out just sharing how stressed they are and different things that they could do that would relieve some of that stress. And there's no doubt that teachers are very stressed right now. One of them is being, you know, that we were virtual last year and we had to face these challenges as everything unrolled. You know, there was turmoil and all of this and everybody was just trying to learn and, you know, just, just try to make it through their day in a positive manner. And everybody that faced challenges, you know, that's what had that stress, sorry. Kara Larson. Um, teacher stress levels have always been high due to state mandates of tests, curriculum they have to teach. Um, they really need breaks, they need support. You know, we're short staff. Um, they need collab time to talk to other teachers. Honestly, I just wanna talk to the teachers and find out what suggestions they have to relieve some of that stress. And hopefully that's something that we could do as a board to help them out just a little bit. Carol Lawson. Um, one, I guess, very straightforward answer in reducing stress levels of teachers specifically is to make sure that we're continuing to protect their prep time, their collaboration time, that time that they have that's not student facing, that's important to doing their jobs. Um, but one thing that I recently, I kind of keep a running to-do list as a current board member and one thing that I am interested in finding more information out about with regards to our teachers and staff is the efficacy of the HR wellness programs that we have in place at HR at Linmar. Um, they're there, but are they being utilized and are they working? Matt Rollinger. Our teachers are stressed because we're asking them to do more every day with the same amount of time with no more resources. That's why they're stressed. We need to get some of that, those stressful things that we're asking them to do off of their backs. The stuff that is not geared towards education, we need to get rid of some of that and let teachers teach. Thank you. At this time, we would ask that each of the uh, candidates make closing comments and you'll have 30 seconds to do that. We are not able to get to all of the questions that were submitted. We do appreciate all of the questions submitted, but in the, in the uh, view of time, uh, and I know many of you are tired, and so am I, uh, we need to, we're gonna listen at this point to closing comments from each of the candidates. So we'll begin with Rachel Wall. Put me on the spot. Um. Thank you so much uh, to everybody for being here tonight. Um, I'm so glad to see that so many people are so engaged in our community and engaged in the district. Um, this has been an incredible turnout. Um, it's uh, tough to sit up here uh, with those time cards and uh, I'm, I'm sure that I miss things and I'm sure that um, 
I'm sure that there are things that I forgot, but uh, at the end of the day, I am here um, in order to, um, in <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> for, for coming out tonight. I really appreciate it. Melissa Walker. It threw me off guard there. Um, thank you for coming. Uh, I am committed to being here for your kids, to serving your families, to serving um, the teachers and the parents in this district. I will be collaborative. I will be transparent. Um, I commit to being professional and um, caring for our children and our staff's mental health um, and overall well-being. I know that first and foremost, we need to care for the whole person in order for our kids and our teachers to be successful. And I will do everything in my power to help make that happen. Matt Rollinger. Uh, thank you for hosting. Thank you for everybody coming out tonight. Thank you for all of the candidates for being here. I've learned a lot from all of you this evening. Um, I'm not a polished politician. I'm a dad with some kids in this district, and I love them. And I'm up here for them because I want to make it better for them, and I want to make it better for your kids, your grandkids. I want to make it better for the teachers, and I think I can help do that. I'm asking for your help on November 2nd. Please come out and vote for me. Carol Lawson. Um, I also thank all of you for taking time out of your day to prioritize local government. I think small governments are the most effective way to make change in your communities. Um, I obviously am here to ask you to vote for me on November 2nd. I hope that you can look at the work that I've done for our district in the last four years and would ask that I continue that work. Um, I am up here to ensure all of our students get access to a good quality education. Kara Larson. Um, first, I want to thank everybody who's running because it's not easy to put yourself out there. Um, I'm coming and running for school board with no set agenda. Um, I'm here to help support students and staff. I'm not here for my kids um, because they're going to be okay no matter what. Um, I'm here to help those that need a voice and the staff that needs a voice and assistance as well. And I'm here to continue to make sure Linmar is a place kids want to be and that there's a lot of opportunities for all children. Geraldyn Jones. First, I want to say thank you to everybody who was involved in hosting this, whether you're hosting it or you're here sitting here today. Um, that's something to be proud of because the first one, there was only like 20 people here, and we have a packed room. So you guys all should just give your round of, yourself a round of applause for that. So um, next, I'm going to address something very important to me, just because, you know, whatever. I am a Christian. I'm just going to say it. I'm a Christian, and my views align one way. I'm not here to have some sort of agenda or anything. I recognize that, I recognize that our community and our school has that. I, I'm cognizant of that. So... Sorry, that time card is just, it just gets me when I just shut up. Um, yeah, so I'm just cognizant of that. So thank you to everybody for being here tonight. And yeah. So on behalf of the Marion Economic Development Corporation and the Marion Chamber of Commerce, thank you for attending tonight's forum. Tonight's forum has been recorded, and you can see that online tomorrow through the Marion Economic Development and Marion Chamber of Commerce's online platforms. 
Remember to vote Tuesday, November 2nd. You've heard that about 20 times already. Thank you to, thank you to all the candidates. And again, thank you for being here. Now here is Medco President Nick Glue. I get two, two more minutes of your time. For those of you that have been here this evening, earlier you've heard this, but I do want to talk about just one final important thing as we consider our November 2nd election, and that is that you will all see on your ballot the extension of our local option sales tax. Our organization does not endorse any of the candidates that we uh, have heard from this evening, but we do take positions on important community issues and encourage you to vote yes for our local option sales tax. In the Marion community, 70% of those dollars will be spent on street and infrastructure improvements, with the balance of that money being spent on other really great community assets. Uh, in our community, um, one important thing to consider is that it's really the best way to fund projects. It allows our community to cash flow projects versus issue debt, which raises property taxes uh, to fund those important projects. Another important thing to consider is that in our community, we receive $1.36 in sales tax revenue for every dollar that's collected. So that means it's a good deal for our community. That means 35% of the revenue we receive comes from outside of Marion. So I've skipped most of this because I know we're all really tired, but flip your ballot over. I think it might be on the back of your ballot. It's referenced as um, public measure H. There's all kinds of projects that you will notice uh, signs around of our community indicating they've been funded by local option sales tax. It's a really big deal to our community, to you as residents, to our business partners, um, and we would ask that you uh, vote yes for that important referendum. So I will close here tonight by again saying thank you to our candidates. Thank you to all of our leaders who have raised their hands, willing to serve our community in different ways. Um, it's a thankless job, so we we really appreciate people uh, willing to step forward in a leadership role. So uh, again, thanks to all of you for being here and have a great night. Travel home safe.